this one time or another. It says, from one friend to another, both senior citizens. Just a line to say I'm living and not among the dead, though I'm getting more forgetful and mixed up in the head. For sometimes I can't remember at the bottom of the stairs if I must go up for something or I just came down from there. And before the fridge so often, my mind is filled with doubt. Have I put the food away or have I come to take it out? There are times when it is dark with my nightcap on my head. I don't know if I'm retiring or just rising out of bed. So if it's my turn to write you, there's no reason to get sore. I may think that I have written and don't want to be a bore. So remember, I do love you and I wish that you were near, but now it's almost mail time and the postman should be here. There I stood beside the mailbox with my face so very red. I did not mail you my letter. I opened it instead. <laughs> That's, it tells us that an angel comes just before the violence of the wrath of God is poured out. And an angel comes and takes from the altar the incense and the prayers of all saints. In other words, it's not been a prayer, but what isn't registered in the mind of God. For all the prayers that God's people have prayed for their loved ones, and before the vials of the wrath of God is poured out, those prayers come and that sweet incense up into the nostrils of God. And there's something tells me that those prayers are going to be answered. That when all the wrath of God is spewed out upon the face of this earth, that God's going to see and he's going to hear those prayers. And God's going to be mindful of what we said and what we've done. And they're going to accomplish more in that hour than we ever thought they would. And you have to remember one thing, every prayer that's prayed is registered in heaven. It's there. And whether it looks like it's ever answered or not, at that day, it's going to be a sweet-smelling incense in the nostrils of God. And most likely, it's going to save a lot of people that would otherwise than that be smitten by the coming of the Lord and be taken by the wrath of God because somebody prayed somebody cared to take we ought to ever give up so we need to turn our heart and our mind over to the Lord tonight dismiss all of our troubles look up and talk to him personally and just say Heavenly Father I appreciate you, you hallelujah let's just sing it tonight be reading if you don't mind standing going reading from Revelations the third chapter and the 14th verse some old familiar scripture almost everyone knows it we want to read it again anyway. Let's remember this coming Sunday is your building fund Sunday. You made a promise to God, pledge to God, why put your building fund, give hand that to Sister Blanche. She's in charge of the building fund, and it just creates a problem. Brother Gary's got about all he can handle anyway, keeping everything else straight. So just put it in something, put your name on it, and hand it to Sister Blanche. That way, when we need it, it's going to be there. Building Fund Sunday. That doesn't mean that if you, you can't give if you haven't made a pledge. You can you can give. We'll just take it just any way, any time. We'll take it in change. We'll take it in $100 bills, $1,000 bills, just however you want to give it. We'll take it. We'll even take a check. All right. Praise the Lord. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, 
the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knoweth not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, and will sup with him, and he with me. He that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Heavenly Father, we are pleased tonight to be able to read your word be able to have it preserved for us for centuries and brought to our day. We're thankful for your spirit, takes the blinders from our eyes, unstops our deaf ears, and makes us be able to see and hear. We're thankful because you're so mindful of us that you rebuke us at times and you chasten us all the time with loving kindness. Father, we beseech you tonight that you would take our lives, that you'd take our words, you'd take our breath, you would take our thoughts. Do away with all of that, Father, and place yours there. Let us speak only what you would want spoken. Let us speak it in the attitude that you would want it spoken. All those things we ask in the precious, loving name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The last church out of the seven churches of Asia is getting their warning. People have differences of opinions on whether these were representative churches down to the dispensations, each one representing a certain time in the dispensation of the church, and whether many of those still are in the world today, these type of churches. I firmly believe that perhaps many of them are existing today. The Ephesian church, church at Ephesus, with leaving their first love and all of the others. But I believe also it's dispensational. I believe that it has been church age. I believe God has spoken at different times down through the dispensation since the beginning of the church. I believe he's winding it up with what is going to be outside of the true church of Philadelphia what is going to be in the last days. Most likely you and I 
are entering into those days are in those days of lukewarmness, those days of rich and increased with goods, and those days where people feel like they have need of nothing. Now God is talking to a church. I think we ought to realize that God is talking to a church. Not necessarily an individual, but he's talking to a church. And in this Laodicean church age, they are not hot and they are not cold. And God says, I know your work. I know who you are. I know your works. And when I look at it, I know that you're not hot and you're not cold. A lot of different ideas on what that means, but he says you're lukewarm. And he says, because you are, I can't do anything with you, and I'll spew you out of my mouth. And he says the reason he does this. He says, because thou sayest, I am rich, and I am increased with goods, I have need of nothing. And you don't know that you're wretched, and you don't know you're miserable, and you don't know you're poor, and you don't know you're blind, and you don't know you're naked. And he says, I want to bring some counsel to you. It's not too late yet. Church is probably in the final state of apostasy. But it's not too late yet. I want to bring some counsel to you, and I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. And this is the only way you're ever going to be rich. I want you to get from me white raiment that thou mightest be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness don't appear, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that thou mightest see. And he says, Now, because I love you, I'm going to rebuke you and chasten you for this. I want you to be zealous of me, and I want you to repent. He also lets them know that he's standing at the door. He's outside the door. Now, it's no small thing to us because of what has happened in the PTL and the religious world that people's mind is on money and wealth. And the Bible tells us that because of that and you're clothed with that, your shame of your nakedness appears to the whole world. So Christianity, especially those who believe in the saving grace of Christ, and the power of the Holy Ghost has been exploited. Its nakedness is hanging out for everyone to look upon the nakedness, and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. I just talked to my youngest daughter tonight. She was very upset for a while. A well-known minister with a large church in her area of Niceville. Uh, Jesus' name oneness preacher of great repute well known in that area had built a large house financially got himself in problems and thought of a way to get out of it and this seems almost unbelievable but it happened this man took the handyman that worked there at the church and looked a lot like him, healed him, cut off his head and his arm, set the church on fire, 
so that he might not be recognized, so that they would say it was him, so his wife could collect the insurance he had just taken out. And it looked like it was going to work, but it didn't. So you have a congregation of perhaps a thousand of individuals who put their trust in this man, church that was rich, church that was increased with goods, a church that thought they didn't have need of anything else after all. They had the new birth. After all, they had repented. After all, they had been baptized, what we say the correct way in Jesus' name. And after all, we had received the gift of the Holy Ghost. So 1,000 people living in that church and in that age is now left floundering, wondering what happened. Now that's close to home. PTL is an ever-ending story, ever-ending battle, a holy war. First one and then another comes up with some type of attitude and we wonder why can this thing be? And yet all we have to look is what God wrote to the church age that we're living in. Where he said individuals would be rich, money's no object, pour it out, spend it like pouring water out. Million and a half dollars a year doesn't mean any more than my ten thousand or whatever it is I get. They're increased with goods, have every all the fineries of life, even to air conditioned dog houses, even shopping sprees to ten thousand dollars in Kmart's and Walmart's and all of this. They increased with goods, and they say we don't need anything. We've got the prosperity message. We've got what it takes. We don't need anything else. And God is saying that you don't know that someplace along the line you have left the track. You don't know that you're wretched. You don't know that you're miserable. Friend, without God you have to be miserable. When you've left God and you've known Him, You've got to be miserable, and you've got to be wretched. There's no life outside of Him. And He said, you don't know that you're poor with all of these things. You don't know that you're poor because without God, you're poor. You can be the richest person in this world. Without God, you don't have anything. And He said, and you don't know that you're blind. You can't see these things. Can't see the snares of the devil. That's why they're taken by them. Can't see the snares laid there because their mind is on something else. And you don't know that you're naked. In other words, the righteous robes of the Christ of Calvary at one time clothed you, clothed you no more. And you hang out in open shame and your nakedness is appearing. And God is saying, I wish you would seek me and let me clothe you one more time with my holiness and my righteousness. I think what I'm trying to say tonight is a question asked, how then do we exist in this Laodicean church age? 
the present-day Christian, honest-hearted Christians, we have been thrust into an age of spiritual lethargy, thrust in an age of material wealth and gain, thrust in an age of casual or no repentance, and almost anything will do as long as you say you've been, quote, born again, unquote, whether you have or not. And you see, all of these things that, that I've just spoken about, the PTL thing, the Oral Roberts thing, everything else that the media can get, crucify God's people, and they have asked for it, and we're thrust in the midst of this Laodicean church age that leaves most of us despairing, at times discouraged, more than anything else, frustrated and weary even in well-doing. Because we look at that which one time prospered, that which represented the truth. People sent their money to it. People paid for it. People was behind it. And yet we see these things come out and we look at it and we wonder actually God... If it gets any worse, and it's going to get worse, how can we keep our minds on you? And how can we find that thin line that runs through this thing? And how can we see the footprints of the Savior? And how can we follow you and hold on to you while all this is happening? God had just spoken by his mouthpiece, John, previously to the church of Ephesus. He said, you've left your first love, you'll have to repent. He had spoken to Pergamos, and he said, you've allowed Balaam, Balak, to preach false doctrines, you're going to have to repent. He spoke to Thyatira, and he said, Jezebel is seducing my servants to commit fornication. That could be natural or spiritual, and there's going to have to be some repentance done to that. And then he spoke to the church at Sardis, and he says, you have a name that you live, and you are dead. And you're going to have to repent and get life back in you. And now his booming voice of John the Revelator rings this challenge out then to us, our age. And he says, I know you, and I know your works. So the question is, when I read that, what do you say? How do you exist? How do you keep your spiritual mind without letting it wander and wonder whether are you being deluded or not? How can you work through this period of the Laodicean church age without becoming filled with lethargy yourself? Without at times getting so unconcerned that you want to throw up your hands and say, God, I don't know what else to do. Maybe I'll just live my life myself and look back over some accomplishments and realize it's not enough, and want to say, God, what else can I do? And look at all of these and realize that it's just the beginning of sorrows, and God's search is just right upon the edge of one of the worst things and disaster that ever happened. question is, how can we exist in that? And I was on my knees asking God the answer. I needed to know the answer. You need to know answers to these questions. Because not only 
Is your own life affected by that? And your own ministry is affected by that, but other people's lives is affected by what happens. I talked to one individual and he said, I don't think it's affected me any. I come sometimes wonder what type of a dream house he lived in. Not to be affected by what's going on in this world. I haven't lost my confidence in God. I haven't lost my hope in Him. But friends, somewhere, somehow, these things affect my life. They affect our congregations. They affect our outreach. And they affect us spiritually more than we would want to recognize. Because when you live in an age of spiritual lethargy, if you're not careful, you lapse into that yourself, everybody included. There's times when you just simply want to say, if this is the best it's going to be, I can't handle this. It's going to get worse. What am I going to do? But in the Gospels, now I searched for the answer in Revelations. I thought it was there. It seems like any time there's a mystery that you feel like the answer ought to be in Revelations. I searched for revelations for a long time, and then there was just a still voice told me that the answer is going to be in the Gospels. Directed me, and you can turn there if you want to, but I'm not going to read it. It directed me to St. John chapter 6. This was immediately after Jesus had fed the 5,000 with their fishes and the loaves. And immediately when he decided that he was going to give his great discourse on the bread of life. And you've got to know what he did. He healed their sick, and he cleansed their lepers, and he unstopped their deaf ears, and he gave sight to their blind, and he made their lame to walk, and he raised their dead, and he fed them with fishes and loaves. And yet you'll have to look on the world and realize that these things have happened. People have been healed of their sicknesses. God's been good in so much. When we were starving with fishes and loaves, and He's carefully took care of His church, and in the midst of all of that, God is saying now, is the time for them to realize where life really is. Where life really begins. I'm going to teach them to look beyond material wealth and gain. In other words, if they've got it, I'm going to take it away from them. I'm even going to teach them to look beyond their healings and their miracles. In other words, whatever has been happening, I'm going to present a period of time where these things do not happen. And he says, I'm going to do this for a reason. Because a lot of times people begin to live off of miracles. And people begin to live off of fishes and loaves and enjoying the good things of God. And Jesus said in this chapter, I'm going to present to them a discourse on the bread of life and present to them where life really is. And if they can get a hold of this, they're going to be able to exist. But they're not going to ever be able to know who I am in reality by my just healing them. 
or by me just presenting miracles in their ears, or for me just feeding them fishes and loaves. They're never going to know who I really am. And I want my church to know who I really am. And God is speaking in this day and hour and letting us know that He's still the God of miracles. He's still the God of impossibilities. He's still the God of all of these things that we've saw at one time or another. And He's saying, I'm going to shut the door on that for a moment and I want you to love me because I'm me. I want you to love me for who I am, not what I can do for you. And he presented that to them and he said, Now I am the bread of life. And then he set down something else. As he said, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. In other words, he was saying to that lame man that was healed and that blind man that had his sight, and that leper that had been cleansed, and that dead that had been raised, he was saying to them, in spite of everything you have received, except you know me in the reality, of it all, there's still no life in you whatsoever. In other words, you've got to eat my flesh, and you've got to drink my blood. In other words, you've got to know who he is, accept him for who he is, and believe him for who he is. And that was too much for them and this is an example and that's too much usually for the modern day church the Bible says after he did that many of them that followed him walked with him no more in other words they were saying if I can't see the miracles if I can't eat the bread and be fed by you and have my spine tingled every once in a while, and if I'm going to have to just live on you alone, I can't handle it. And not only did they say that, but when God brings us all down to the nitty-gritty of the thing and asks us just to live off of Him, in other words, God has said time and time again, if you will seek your teeth in my word, you can survive in this day and age that you live in. You don't need anything but me. And the Bible says a lot of them left him. Now you wonder why did they leave him? They left him because they were comfortable. They can get all the diseases healed. They can get some little bread and butter sandwiches. And they can get everything taken care of. And God would hand them something to eat whenever they got hungry. And they were depending upon material things. And they were comfortable in that position. And when Jesus said, I'll close the door. And if you're going to live or have any life, you're going to have to get it through me. And friend, he does that for a reason. We haven't seen miracles in a long time like we used to see, have we? That's not to say God can't do it. He can. And one day he will again. You haven't saw anything to what you're going to see. And that's going to come. 
from the church that has existed through this Laodicean church age and has decided, God, you're God, whether you do anything else for me and give me the Word of God. I'll live off of you. I'll breathe from you. I'll let you be my life and I'll let you be my strength and I really don't need anything else. And God is trying His best to find people like that that's willing to say, I'll forego those things, God. I love you enough. I'm comfortable enough in your presence to believe that whatever you say or whatever you do is going to be fine with me. And then Jesus... After they had left him, Jesus turns to his disciples. I want you to catch that. Who themselves was murmuring. The encircle of his people that he had chosen and that he had taught after all of these people decided they couldn't live that way. And he turned to his disciples and they was murmuring themselves. And he asked them a very serious question. I don't think he just asked them that question. I think he asked us that question today. And this Laodicean church age, I think he turns to us and says, the only way you can survive is through me. He makes that declaration. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, the only way you can live and have any life in you is if you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then he says, will you also go away? He did that because they were murmuring about what he had done and murmuring about what he said. But there's a good saying in the midst of that. Something that God let me see and something that I just can't hardly keep to myself. And when he asked that question, in the midst of all this confusion, and in the midst of all this desolation, and in the midst of all those people that had left, and even during the murmuring of his closest followers, there's a man in the midst of that desolate hour stood up and he spoke these words to whom? Shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And it hit me just something way down inside, just stirred in my heart, and it made me to realize that this man Peter spoke those words, not by circumstances that surrounded him, but he spoke them by a revelation of Almighty God. And friend, if we exist in this world, while the whole world is going down, and while there's evil every place, and while there's destitution and desertion from God, and where you see people crumbling and falling, and you wonder who's going to go next, and you see all of this, and you hear the words of the Master come to you in these desolate hours when we are selfishly really murmuring about these things. And I think he points his finger at us and says, Are you going to go away too? And I want to be able to say, just like Peter said, had divine revelation, God, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's out here next. And I don't have any place else to go because you have the words of eternal life. The only thing I could ever exist on, you have it. I've tasted it. It's been good. And I can't live off anything else. I have to have your word. 
I said, I have to have your word. I can't live any other direction. And I would have to say that by revelation because I couldn't look at circumstances surrounding me and see any hope whatsoever. And Peter couldn't either. And that's the only way we're going to exist is to be able to speak by revelation, be able to just look at the circumstances. And I want you to just realize what this man was looking at. He had followed Jesus for a long time. He had watched him pick up thousands, launch out from the shore, had ministered to thousands of individuals. He watched them gather together and follow Jesus on foot 31 miles around the lake and bring their sick people just to get in the presence of Jesus. And he had watched him heal their sick, and he had watched those individuals throng him Every place he went, there wasn't a man like this man, Jesus. Nobody had ever walked among them like that. And then Peter saw some of the very ones that had gotten their healing. Some of the very ones that experienced maybe even being raised from the dead. Lepers had been cleansed. And when Jesus declared that there wasn't any life in that, that wasn't life. That was just the gifts he had given to them. Life was in him. And when he declared that to them, Peter watched those individuals walk off. And he himself was caught up in the murmuring how the disciples close to Jesus should have known him. And yet when that question was posed to him, instead of Peter answering out of his own self, out of what he could see, he answered out of divine revelation for that which stood within him. As he said, i got no place else to go. And friend, tonight, I don't have any place else to go. But to Jesus, He's been my life, my stay. He's been my strength. Oh, He's raised me off of the sick bed. He's healed me after, uh, after seven long years of heart attack and they said I was going to die. God came down and He healed my body. He's healed me time and time again. He's put clothes on my back and He's fed me. And friend, that's not the most important thing in my life. The most important thing in my life is to know that I can eat of this Word of God and survive even in desert places. I can survive there. There's water from the rock. There's honey from the rock. There's bread from heaven. Hallelujah. I said, Hallelujah. And Jesus said, If you'll eat of this, you got life. Outside of that, you don't have any. Not long after that. Well, glory. I said, well, glory. I promised myself I was going to quit this. Just getting all bothered up here and getting all excited and preach till I can't hardly breathe anymore. It's pretty hard to teach an old dog new tricks. It's the only way I know how I feel him. <laughs> Thank God when I feel Him, I get excited about it. And when I know that's what I live by, I get more excited about it. And I realize that God has led me through desert places. He's led me to them. He's took me out of good places where there's a lot of miracles, a lot of good things going on, and put me in a desert place. And He said, all you're going to have out here is me. And if that's not enough, you're not going to make it. And that's what he's saying to the church of God today in the Laodicean church age. All you've got in this miserable world is me. And if I'm not enough, you can't make it. And friend, for my money, he's enough. I said he's enough. 
Thank God I don't need anything else. That God had always be with me, God. Always be with me. And it wasn't long after that till this man spoke again by revelation. Jesus looked, said, Whom do men say that I of the Son of Man am? They said, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. But as usual, Jesus couldn't let them get by with what other people thought about him. Any more than he's going to let us get by on what other people think about him. I mean, you can see what the world thinks about him. You can see the exploitation of him from the religious world. And when you ask what other people think about him, but then he comes right down to Peter like he does us, and right to all of them. And he said, but whom do ye say that I am? Point blank question now. He says, I want to know what I mean to you. I want to know who you think I am. Am I the healer of sick bodies? Am I the opener of the blind eyes? Am I the cleansing of the lepers? Am I the unstopper of deaf ears? Am I the raiser of the dead? I want to know who you think that I am. And Peter answered again. I think he's saying, Lord, no. That's not who you are. That's a side benefit of what you can do, but that's not who you are. Jesus wants to know who do we think He is, not what we think He can do, and who do we think He is. I think that's a question. I think it's pertinent. Whenever people ask you about God, we begin to tell them what He's done for us. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But someday there's a pointed question about who is He in your life? Not what He's done. But who is he? Who do you think he is? And Peter again answered by divine revelation. As he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that always had a value to me. But there was something in there that just wouldn't let me rest. I picked up can't even think of the name of it now that my wife ordered for me. Moves from the Greek over to English, lexicon. I looked in there and one of the earliest translations of this scripture made me almost want to shout. In fact, I probably did. Way down inside my spirit. Because I realized that Peter had more of a revelation here than we ever gave him credit for. Because what this reads is, Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the veil of the living God. <laughs> Hallelujah. In other words, I realize that you are God veiled in the flesh. And you're walking among us. I thought, my God, what a revelation. Nobody would have knew that. But the Spirit of God had to reveal that to us. Had to reveal that to them and has to reveal that to us. And friend, that did it for Peter. 
I mean, you might not realize sometimes what you're saying, and you might speak under revelations, and God takes account, and that did it for Peter. Those words that he spoke by revelation in the midst of a confusing, discouraging, desolate time later brought some fantastic words from his master's lips. <laughs> and you'll find that located, nestled in Luke. Don't turn there, mark it down. 22nd chapter and the 31st verse. He looked at this Simon Peter. Jesus was going to die before long. And he looked at this man that had opened his vision to him. That somewhere allowed him some space to use his eyes and spiritual insight. And allowed them to speak such courageous, immortal words handed down to you and I tonight. And God took note of those. He didn't discount them. And in all old Peter's failures, he still held on to Peter speaking by revelation in desolate times. How Peter standing up when nobody else had an inkling of who he was or what he was here for. Oh, Peter was standing up by revelation and saying, I know who you are. I can't live anywhere the way I know where to go. And Jesus looked at him tenderly one time with a loving heart. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you a sweet. And I like those words, Peter. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. He said, Peter, I know you're not perfect. I know you've had your ups and downs. I know you've had your times of unbelief. I know that. But I think he's looking down and saying, in spite of all those failures, there's something that makes me do what I'm going to do for you. There's something that opens my heart. Friend, there's something about God that if He can find a believer, He opens His heart to that individual. And regardless of their failures and downfalls, His heart is still open to that individual. And he said, Peter, I know that your archenemy, the devil, has desired to have you, and he's going to sift you as wheat. But he said, Peter, because of your answers in that age of desolation, those times of confusion, when nobody else knew anything, he said, I've prayed for you. That your faith fail not. Hallelujah. And I'd like to have that in my heart. I believe God is saying that to us. If you can exist in this Laodicean church age, if you can live where there is no miracles, if you can live and exist where I'm the primary thing, where only me and my word that you have to sink your teeth in, if you can live in those times, a devil has desired to have you. He's going to sift you as wheat. He'll destroy you if he can. And I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And friend, I think he prayed for his people tonight that they can exist through all of this. 
And then he says, when you are converted, when you're changed, when you have what you're supposed to have because I prayed for you, then you've got a job. I want you to go out and strengthen your brothers. In other words, those individuals out there that's wondering. They don't know what's happened. They don't know what's happened to their little bungalow that's been built. That little tent where they always found security. Uh, everything that they ever put, put any confidence in is gone from them. And somewhere, somehow, they have never learned to exist on me alone. They've never learned that I'm the only one that sustains them. They have never learned to live without all of these other benefits. And when I closed the door to those for a while, and Peter, I prayed for you because you said that there wasn't any place else to go. And because you were aware that I was God veiled in the flesh, you knew that. As a revelation come from that. You were open to this thing. When you become aware of that, Peter, I was determined that no devil in hell was going to get you I prayed for you myself. I want you to imagine divinity praying for humanity. And he said that one time in John. His prayer for his people who recognize who he is and lives on him alone has been keep them. Keep them. He said, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith don't fail. In other words, my prayer... It's going to take you through. But the only reason I prayed for you, Peter, was because of what you allowed to come through you. A revelation. In the times when humanity needed it the worst, Peter, you spoke it. And you spoke a truth. Peter spoke a truth that still lives tonight. When the veil is brought down, the curtain on the last act, God closes His door on a lot of these things and doesn't give us any side benefits of Him at all. Then He needs somebody to stand up and say, let them go where they please. But I don't have any place else to go. I don't know of anybody that can give me what I need but you, Jesus. You alone have the words of eternal life. And i got to depend on you, Jesus. Take my job. What does that do to me? Drives me to Jesus. Take my wealth. What does that do to me? Drives me to Jesus. Closes the doors on things that I have lived and breathed on. What's that do to me? Let's me go to Him and believe Him drives me to His Word. That's how you exist in the Laodicean church age. It's through Him and belief in Him. And those that can't believe Him and can't live by Him it's going to falter. They're going to fall. They can't make it. Shall we stand?